0: You're listening to episode 110 of the Tennis Files podcast.
1: Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad.
0: Hey everybody, my name is Mirban Iranshad and on the podcast, I interview the top experts, pros, and coaches to help you improve your tennis game. But on occasion, I also do produce solo episodes and I really love these because I get to connect with you my loyal audience who I really love uh, for all your support and uh, words of encouragement. And today's episode, as I mentioned in the beginning of the broadcast, is the five biggest mistakes of my tennis career. And this is going to be a little bit revealing for sure. And even in you know one case, I'd say at least embarrassing as well. And so it's going to, I hope, give you a glimpse into what it is that tennis players sometimes do, which are essentially big mistakes and so I hope that by letting you know about these mistakes that it helps you to kind of realize when you're you're in a similar situation or diving into you know an abyss of a you know a negative choice that you kind of climb out of that and uh make the right choice but before I talk about that, I just want to mention. That I did actually go up to the US Open during Labor Day weekend, and I really had an absolute blast. And by blast, I mean I blasted a lot of money out of my wallet for those tickets, but you know, it was totally worth it. And uh, the US Open really does a fantastic job, and it's just wonderful on many fronts. I mean, just the sheer number of beautiful courts. I mean, you've got Of course, Arthur Ashe Stadium. You've got Louis Armstrong Stadium, both with roofs. And then you've got the Grandstand, which is also huge and magnificent. And then you have so many other outer courts. And just a lot of great matches going on. I saw in particular, or at least that I can remember, uh, Montfils and Shapovalov. Uh, That was a five-set thriller. I'd say that was my most enjoyable match that I watched uh, that was, I think, believe, on Saturday night, and then right after that, I got to see the Bryan brothers go at it for three sets, and they won, and then I left after that, and it was 1 a.m., but, uh, you know, it's weekend, so it's all good, and it's tennis. I also saw Djokovic-Warinka, which was a little bit disappointing, I can't lie, because Djokovic, unfortunately, had to retire in the third set. But I should have probably known that that was a possibility given Djokovic's shoulder issues uh, in the early rounds and the fact that Warinka is a big baller. I also saw Isner Chilich, Svitolina, and Keys for a bit. I saw Nadal on Ash as well. And unfortunately, I missed the Osaka golf match. But I saw a lot of great tennis. And I also met some really cool people. Big shout out to Andy Chu. And Nina Pantic, Andy is the editor-in-chief at Tennis Channel. I met with her on Saturday during the day and we walked around and chatted, uh, just kind of trying to get to know each other better and uh, exchange some ideas about the new Tennis Channel podcast network, which you all need to for sure check out. And you can check out all the podcasts actually through this link that I'm going to say right now, TennisFiles.com slash T-C-P-N. That's for the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. So, once again, TennisFiles.com slash T-C-P-N. And so, yeah, Andy is the editor-in-chief of Tennis Channel and she is responsible for checking out uh, all the fantastic articles that her staff writes and then uh, figuring out what should go out. And so, yeah, she's great, very smart, and uh, I had a blast meeting with her. And then on Sunday, I got to meet with Nina and Nina hosts the Tennis.com podcast, which is also, of course, on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And she hosts a show with Irina Falcone. And so both Nina and Irina are fantastic players who uh, played on the pro circuit, uh, professional tournaments. And Nina also works at Tennis Channel. And so, yes, it was really fantastic to meet with them. And I also hung out with some friends of mine. Shout out to Peter from my hood. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember who else I met up with. Oh, shout out to John as well from, uh, from Virginia. Just had a wonderful time, uh, amazing atmosphere, uh, definitely a tip for you all is to get your tickets early. Otherwise you're going to enter the stock market of tickets and that's going to be fun. But, uh, yeah, so great stuff. Also a big shout out to the lost and found at US Open, uh, embarrassingly, I actually ended up just leaving my credit card. I guess it was kind of late. I was a little bit tired. And I just left it where I bought my Fuku, F-U-K-U. I can pronounce that another way very easily, uh, but I won't on the podcast. This is a family-friendly show, y'all. But uh, yeah, I got a chicken sandwich from there and some fries, I think. And I just left my credit card there. And so I finally realized when I was uh, hanging out with uh, a new friend of mine, that I did not have the card in my wallet and so that was probably two hours later. I went to the lost and found and the nice lady there said, what's your name? Scanned her lost and found list and Shazam, uh, my my card was, was found. And so just big shout out, uh, great job there. All right. Uh, one other thing before I launch into the episode is that if you did not hear last week, I was actually asked by Tennis Channel to join the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, which is a huge honor for me, and so the network actually launched last Saturday, or sorry, last Sunday, which I believe was August 25th, and so because of this, you will be soon, if you are not already, uh, you'll be hearing ads on the podcast, and of course, as you can guess, uh, this will equate to uh, revenue for for the podcast. But this is going to be a huge help. By putting these ads on the, the podcast, I'm going to be able to uh, really take the podcast to the next level because, uh, as you may or may not know, I pay for the editing myself because I outsource because I really don't have enough time to to be doing that these days, especially as I have a full-time job and I'm trying to do other things with Tennis Files as well, and there's a lot of other associated costs as well with my website, you know, hosting it and everything, and yeah, there's just a lot of stuff, equipment, and um, yeah, so I really appreciate your support with this, and I hope that uh, at least some of the ads will give you uh, great value and introduce you to uh, some great products and things like that, but in advance, uh, if you haven't heard them yet, thank you for your support of uh of listening and, and allowing me to have ads on the podcast, and they're gonna help a lot. So, um, yeah, it's definitely not free to do all this stuff. So, um, yeah, so that just wanna let you know. And, uh, okay, so let us launch right into the episode. It's my uh, weird accent that I don't even know where that's from. But, all right, the five biggest mistakes of my tennis career. Okay, so the first one is. That when I was younger, when I was about 13, I actually received a letter from JTCC, the Junior Tennis Champions Center. I think I was about 13, around there. And I got this letter asking me to try out for uh, one of their competitive junior groups, basically. So I think this was in the beginning of JTCC when they were trying to build up their program. And so I was uh, ranked fairly high at that point and basically they wanted to bring out a bunch of the uh, higher ranked juniors out there and to have them kind of have a, you know participate in a tryout to be in the JTCC training group and you know what I saw that letter and immediately I just thought I just got scared I just thought oh I I basically got nerv- too nervous to try out And I think the trout might have been on a Saturday or something, and I just kind of avoided it, and I I didn't want to go, and I ended up not going. And the thing is, if you know JTCC, they've produced some amazing players like uh, Francis Tiafo and Dennis Kudla and and many others before then. Philip Simmons comes to mind. He played uh, when I played juniors as well and was always ranked in the top two or three and also went pro. And yeah, you know, I really, that's one one regret of mine, because if I had tried out, then I would have given myself the chance to actually join this elite group, and I would have been surrounded with some ridiculously amazing coaches, shout out to Vesa, who's at JTCC, and there's a, just many others, of course, but uh, I think that my game would have been up several levels, I mean, that's just like the premier facility for sure in the Mid-Atlantic, and uh really, the lesson there for you all is to really try to try to overcome your fear of failure because I had the fear of failure that I would go out there and I would look like a clown or something to all the uh whoever was evaluating me, I guess the coaches, and then I wouldn't get picked and then it wouldn't feel good, but you know once again, worst case, and this is something i everybody deals with I still deal with it today not taking certain actions because of a fear of failure, you know, for example, you know, you see a, a girl out there and you, you, you know, you want to talk to her, but you don't, uh, I've done this probably 8 million times, but, uh, you know, I mean, that, that's just an example there, but, um, you know, if I had taken that chance, I would have maybe made it into the group and it would have been sort of a life-changing thing for me. So, you know, may, maybe kind of put in context for a lot of you, uh if you see like a great player out there that you're impressed with you know why not ask him or her to uh for their number to, to practice with them and learn from them i mean you have nothing to lose really uh, you really have to just fight past that uh that fear of failure so big thing if you take nothing out of this else out of this podcast screw fear of failure screw it and screw is the worst word i can use here probably all right <laughs> Mistake number two, which is pretty embarrassing, I would say, and you might be surprised because I really do try to pride myself on being a person of integrity, but this is something that I did before a couple times, and I definitely have learned my lesson and feel bad about it. There were a couple matches when I was a junior where I actually retired when I was losing. Like, basically, you know, a set in 5 2 or whatever. And I, I retired. And it's pretty crazy to think about it for me. I mean, one example is I was at a national tournament in Texas and I was up a set and a break and then the kid came back. Uh, so he won the second set, obviously, and he was up 5-2 in the third set. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I actually just retired. And the, I think the, the kid was, you know, he was wondering, like, if I was injured and I, I just didn't say anything, I shook his hand. And then I played one of my rivals a few months later who, I mean, to be honest, uh, yeah, actually I'm not going to say it, but um, I played a rival uh, a few months later and I I used to beat him at least in, in practices. I can't actually remember if I played him in tournaments, but I beat him in practices and then he was beating me pretty bad. I think it was something like 2-6-1-5, so I was down, uh, you know, down to the... At the end, and then again, I just retired, and it's, uh, you know, looking back on it, it's really a bad thing to do, but I think what happened there is I felt like by retiring the match, I told myself that I didn't actually lose, and, you know, there's a couple of lessons from that. The first one is that you really should never give up. I mean, you know, you never know when you can come back. I mean, Think of how many epic comebacks there have been in you know, even in pro tennis, let's say, but also like in amateur tennis, of course, you know, matches we play where somebody's down big and then they come back and win. And there's so many of those those epic times would not have happened if the person just decided, ah, screw it, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna retire. This isn't worth it. And even more important, I think is that losing is such a huge lesson. I honestly, it sounds like sick in the mind, but I sometimes I really enjoy losing. It's because when I lose, a lot of times, I never feel more motivated and I never more deeply look at my tennis game and what do I need to improve and what did my opponent uh, pick on that day that I can do better at and also what did I do well I never do that. I mean, not never, but I do that way more intensely when I lose than when I win. And so not to say that that's great, but I think that's just more natural in people. Like if they if somebody wins and they don't really look into their performance as much usually. So that's why it's better to lose than to just like quit like that. And so yeah, that's something that I did. And I mean, I only did it a couple times. That retiring crap. Um, I'm glad that I somehow learned my lesson, and I don't. I don't even remember why I stopped doing it, but I just. I guess I just decided that that was lame, and it was lame. So there you go. But that's something that maybe you didn't think I I had ever done, and I did
1: it. So there you go. My third biggest mistake
0: is that I focused on winning too early in my career instead of technique, uh, developing my technique and other aspects of my game. So I was basically a really tough grinder. Like I would basically never miss at the time. I uh, just get so many balls back and everything you th- could throw at me and wear down my opponents. And of course, that's a great trait, but. I mean I I realized that as I got older the kids like maybe like 16s and and over like I noticed that certain kids were just straight up overpowering me you know they they were they had huge serves and like really big forehands and whatnot and I did have a pretty good forehand but a lot of these players they were focused more on developing their overall game instead of just winning and this is something that a lot of professionals did like if you look at like Serena Williams career uh you know she didn't focus so much on like destroying the juniors all the time I think I'm pretty sure that they skipped a lot of the junior circuit and also Pete Sampras when he changed from a two-hander to a one-hander he was just focused on what he needed to do to to develop the his game and he thought that a one-hander was more important uh was more um conducive to him having a wonderful career, and so he did that, and he he endured like losing playing uh, with two hands. Oh, and one other problem, too, is that, you know, in in doing this, of trying to get every single ball back, I unknowingly developed certain bad technical habits, which have actually taken quite a while to correct uh, as I got older. So, I mean, the lesson here is that if I could do it over again, I would have focused a lot more on developing really good technique, really efficient footwork and developing weapons. Like number 1 really is like just hitting a crapload of serves under the direction of a fantastic coach for sure. All right. Lesson number 4 or mistake number 4 is I wish that I took tennis more seriously during my teenager years. So I had a lot of success, I would say, until I was like around 15-ish. And then uh, because I reached about uh, number seven in the mid-Atlantic area and like number three or so in Maryland and then like uh, top 200 in the country. But then I had a drop in the rankings from like after that. And then after that happened, I played less and then players that I used to beat, got the better of me. Uh, and then I also, I guess, got distracted. I mean, this is common in many uh, teenagers, obviously. I had other interests that came in, like games and uh, girls, of which, as I mentioned earlier, not <laughs> I was not super successful with because I had no game. But things change. But anyway, also, I focused quite a bit more on my studies. I was in the international baccalaureate program, so it was pretty intense schoolwork and whatnot. So but all that to say, I mean, regardless, I did not have the same level of focus and intensity that I that I had uh in my earlier teen years. And I think that at this age, especially, you really need to commit and go all in to become a highly ranked player and beyond. And, you know, I mean I'm still happy with my career. I played tennis at a D1 a university, uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and I'm, I'm very happy that I got a good education, but uh, all that to say is that, of course, if I were to do it over again, I would really, uh, really focus hard and commit throughout my later teen years as well on the sport so that I could have really accelerated my progress and ranking and, uh, and all that stuff. Mistake number five is that I did not consistently surround myself with a top coach and really highly ranked players. I did take private lessons and big shout out to my parents, my mom and dad for facilitating that. Of course, I did not have money when I was a kid, (laughs) but I sporadically took private lessons. So I was like, you know, in and out. And sometimes I was afraid to ask other really good players to hit with me, other good juniors, because I thought that maybe I wasn't good enough. Again, the wrong attitude there. And I really think for me, and I think for a lot of other players, really, I think the biggest thing that I needed was a mental game coach or somebody to tell me how I needed to think to become a great player. Because it all starts from the mind. You know, like I said, you know, uh, when I was in the later teen years, if I had a different mentality that would have launched me into a different direction as far as like training and all that. So I think surrounding yourself with just, uh, as I say on the podcast, the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. I think that is really the most important. And of course, you know, you always hear about the five person rule. It's that you are the product of the five person. People that you hang around with the most, something to that effect. So yeah, I think that is definitely the fifth mistake. Where if I could do it all over again, I would just have great coach, great team with me, uh, more consistently, and just, just find all the great players. You know, at the tournaments that I play, I see the top seeds or whatever, and I just say, hey man, I I want to train. I'm committed to improving, and let's hit some time. All right, so I hope you really enjoyed the top five mistakes of my tennis career, um, and I actually have a bonus one for you. So I'm just to recap so that you remember the five biggest mistakes of my tennis career, the first one was that I was too scared to try out for uh, the JTCC top junior group. and so basically that's the fear of failure. Uh, the second one, second mistake, uh, retiring uh, during matches when I was losing. And the lesson there is never give up, don't be a quitter, and losing is actually a good thing. Failing is good, uh, because you can always learn from it. Mistake number three, uh, focusing on winning too early instead of technique, uh, instead of developing my game overall, like my technique and footwork, etc. So always think about the long term. What do you want to accomplish uh, farther out instead of what result do you want? Right away. And that helps with a lot of aspects of life. Fourth mistake. Not taking the sport more seriously earlier. And you know, if you really want to improve. You, you need to go all in. You need to set aside that time. And plan. And commit to it. And do it. Mistake number five. Not consistently surrounding myself with a top coach. And really highly ranked. Uh, well really good players. Uh, more consistently. And the bonus mistake. Man, this cost me a lot of cash money, bro. Uh, This was not getting a stringer earlier. I would have saved pr- thousands and thousands of dollars. I mean, that's like half a MacBook. <laughs> uh, I'm actually looking at computers these days. That's why I talk about it. But I did not get a stringer for the longest time. I, I only got it, I mean, like a couple years ago. And it's just crazy because... I mean, you, you do not only save money, but you save a lot of time. Think about uh, every time you're giving it to a stringer, that's like, you know, if they're supplying the string, that's like 20 to 30 bucks or just depending on, on uh, what type of string you use. And uh, even if you don't supply the string, uh, I'm sorry, If you even if you do supply the string, it's like anywhere from 10 to 20 for labor alone. And so, I mean, there were some days where I forgot that I needed my racket strung until like the night before and like, what, what are you going to do then? Right. I mean, you know, who are you going to call besides Ghostbusters? right? And I don't think they know how to string. So, um, yeah, I would really highly encourage you to invest in a stringer cause, uh, you will make up that money over time. And it, you know, if you want to even make more money, you can always advertise stringing services. Once you learn how to string, you can string others rackets and, uh, make some cash. <laughs> Okay. Enough of the accents. Those are my biggest mistakes of my tennis career. And once again, I really hope that they really taught you something about like certain mistakes that I made and maybe you've made them. I mean, no one's perfect, right? I can't just talk all about positives and all the great things I've done, right? I've got to talk about mistakes I've made and I'm sure you've made at least one of these. So, uh, but you know, there's still time you just have to adopt the right mindset and keep pushing forward and keep improving every single day. You know, that's how to do it. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you enjoy the Tennis Files podcast, then I really, really would appreciate it if you would subscribe to the show. And by subscribing, you'll instantly get the newest podcast episodes download it straight to your device, so your smartphone, your uh, iTunes on your computer, etc., instead of having to manually search and then download them. So I think that's a nice convenience, and I subscribe to a lot of podcasts myself so that they're already loaded, so all I have to do is click a button and hear them. So that would be fantastic if you did, and that also help uh, increase the visibility of the podcast as well. I mean, I don't know what the heck the algorithms are for the podcast platforms, but I know that the more subscribers you have, the better, and that will just help more tennis players see it. So I would really appreciate that. Also, any links uh, that I mentioned on the show, of course, will be on the show notes page at slash 110. That's 110. And once again, please check out the tennis channel podcast network of which I'm proudly a part of at tennisfilescom slash tcpn. All right. Uh, I also want to leave you with a motivational quote as I often do at the end of the show. And this one is by Larry page and Larry said, good ideas are always crazy until they're not. It's a fantastic quote. And I also want to leave you with a pun because I love puns. My favorite time to play is about tennis. <laughs> wow. I hope you didn't slam your fist down in anger. Uh, don't worry. I'll bring you better puns moving forward. And I also will bring you some fantastic interviews with the best tennis pros, coaches, and experts. And I've got some some great ones in store for you coming up soon. But I, once again, really appreciate all your support uh, for the podcast, and I hope that you are getting value out of it. And please let me know, you know, what types of topics you want to hear about, or, you know, what you want to learn about from the podcast, and and from me and Tennis Falls in general. And I will be happy to create content to do just exactly that. All right, this is Miraband Aranchad signing off the Tennis Falls podcast. Thanks again for all your support, and we will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.